I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her We wanted to re-release this special episode in support of one of the most talented restaurateurs out there, Brooks Wrights. Brooks and I sat down together at the Garden and Gun offices and discussed everything from Brooks's rise through the restaurant ranks to our shared experience working with a professional coach. Brooks Wrights, welcome to the Garden and Gun offices. Thank you. The last time we saw each other, was almost the last time we saw each other was at Capitol's 20th anniversary. Yes. Yeah. That was a blast, by the way. It was really fun. Actually, the last time we saw each other was at your new Capitol store oh, in Los Angeles. We did. You're yeah. right about that. Oh, that was so nice. That was a blast. And I was- uh, You surprised me. We did, yeah. yeah. And then and got Aaron. some dresses. And Erin <laughs> has been rocking the Ghani dress. Well, and she's gotten so many compliments. She loves that dress. And I love it on her. So, well, anything on her is beautiful and perfect. You could put anything on that child. Appreciate you. I'm sure she'll appreciate you saying that. <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from Henderson, Kentucky. So, it's in the western part of Kentucky. Okay. Which is near o- what? Uh, it's near Evansville, Indiana, oh. which is kind of the bigger town near us. Uh-huh. It's about two hours west of Louisville. Okay. It's on the Ohio River. Oh, wow. Nice little town. And so, yeah, born and raised and my folks still live there. What's the industry there? Denim was a big industry there for a oh, long wow. time. There was a company called Sites Denim Systems. Huh. They were leading the charge with, with stone washing. And remember when like denim, you know, all the like faux aging yes. was so cool <laughs> that a lot of that was happening in Henderson huh. and that company closed but the two um the daughter of of uh, the guy who owned that company went on to start Imogene and Willie in oh, Nashville wow, really? yeah so there's a there was a big denim but then there was also there was industry of all sorts hmm. there what's your first fashion memory as a child in Kentucky First, you, I, I should ask you what your first food food memory is. But. Right. Well, first fashion. Well, I got to remember the podcast I'm on. So <laughs> the first fashion memory, probably dressing up for church. Yeah. And my grandmother was and still is very into clothing. And she was, she What's was, her name? Her name, we call her Mimi. Her I name is a, Marie. I had a Mimi too. You have a Mimi? Yeah. Yeah. She was very into clothes, still is, loves to shop, loves to dress up, look nice. I've really never, I mean, I've never seen her not to the nines. Turned out. Totally. (laughs) And she was very, I'd say strict about tucking our shirt in, wearing the right kind of pants, you know, and would always compliment us when we looked sharp. Is she from there too? From your uh, Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And still is there. Yeah. She lives about 50 yards away from my house. Uh, we, we grew up on a farm. Uh-huh. Uh, it's her farm. What kind of farm? It used to be tobacco, corn, and soybeans. Mm-hmm. These days, it's mostly soybeans. Mm-hmm. Where would you shop? Reference. In that town? Or would you uh, go would, to a bigger town? We would go to Evansville and we would go to the department store, the name of which escapes me, but I loved it because um, we did that every year before school. And there was a restaurant in the department store, which... Mm-hmm was so cool to me and it it was a fancy place in my you yeah. know like eight-year-old mind sure. and i just loved the experience of like going to the little 
polo part where they sold Ralph right. Lauren and you'd like try on a couple polos and then go have like a grilled cheese. In so, the- was it like a fountain or was it like a... Because like in Charlotte, you had Bel- you had Belk's Cafeteria and oh, it was the biggest deal to go to the cafeteria. It, I don't know why. It was fabulous. I mean, it was all, it yeah. really was all homemade. I wouldn't describe this as a cafeteria. I would say it would be like going to Fred's at Barney's. <laughs> it was like kind of fancy. Really? It was cool. And the, I remember the food being great. Yeah. I don't, you know, of course, it's been a long time, but I was so into those back to school shopping trips. Oh, I was too. Do you have a memor- a favorite outfit that you wore first day of school? It's so funny. I've, I have a 14-year-old starting high school, and I've been asking her for the last month, what are you going to wear in the first time first day of school? And she could care less, you know? Really? Well, I mean, she's just like, She's I not mean, inherited I don't know. your uh, interest in <laughs> style? Or? Well, I think I, I probably had planned my outfit for the first day of school every single year, yeah. at least like on the last day of school. Oh, my God. Well, you're in the right <laughs> industry then. <laughs> I can't say I ever planned my outfits out, but I was super into sneakers from a very young age. Okay. So this is 80s or you're younger than I am? I was born in 84. So this would be like late late 80s, 90s. (laughs) Obsessed with sneakers. But the rub was that my parents, they refused to buy me those kinds of like nice Nikes or whatever. Okay. Air Jordans and stuff. I never had those. So they would always like find some other like cool sneaker that they thought I would like. And I, and honestly, I would, uh, you right. know, but I remember one year I wanted these Vans. Yeah. And instead they bought me a pair of Simple. I don't know if you, do you remember that, <laughs> that brand? It was kind of like, I would describe it as like an early, way less cool, more chunky common projects. Okay. Sort of unbranded. It yeah. just said Simple on the, on the side. Mm-hmm. And I was like slightly heartbroken, but then like- <laughs> I, I grew to love them. So you went with it? I did. I rolled the day. I was, you know, I didn't want to seem uh, un- ungrateful. So are you still into shoes? I am still into shoes. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm, you know, I don't go crazy, but, but yes, I just bought my first pair of Air Jordans probably like <laughs> six months ago. That you'd want it all these years. 35 years <laughs> of uh, coveting that shoe. Your dad was a restaurateur. Growing up mm-hmm. in your hometown? Nearby. So by the time I was born, he had left the business, but he uh, owned a bar in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm. And then he moved back home to where he was from, which was Evansville, right over the mm-hmm. Ohio River from where I was born. And he had planned to open his his own restaurant. And we actually still have some of the blueprints and the architectural mm. renderings uh, hanging in our house. They're framed. And he ended up leaving the business to to honestly to spend more time with his family because yeah. it can be a tough business. But I I have this pipe dream of opening his sort of uh, his swan you know song project that yeah. he wanted to create, or even do it as a pop up. It was called Doc Mulvaney's Territorial Saloon. No, yeah, I love it. And when you hear him describe it, it sounded like it <laughs> what would kind have of food been and like what coolest. kind of so it was it was meant to be like a tavern, sort uh-huh. of an uh, you know Americana kind of you know burgers and fries and stuff like that. But the kicker was, and we have the we have the the like elevations and some of the the drawings of this. It was a it was going to be a two story building 
that looked kind of like an old saloon with a bar on the bottom, kind of a, a square bar in the middle of the room and a staircase around the bar and up around kind of on a mezzanine. Mm-hmm. And his plan was, which I think is brilliant, would not have made any business sense, was he was going to have a marching band come in every hour on the hour and play up the stairs no. and around the mezzanine and back down and out the front door. No. Which was so Am- cool. Oh, my God. Amazing. And we have, uh, actually, I grew up with some of the stuff that he had kind of collected yeah. prior to, well, he never opened it, but in preparation. So our house um, in the living room has all these stained glass windows that he had made for the restaurant, mm. like cattails and wheat and corn and that's that's in our house still we had like some old spittoons as well because he was going to have like these old spittoons it was going to feel very old timey is this after the fact that you knew about it but or did you know about this i didn't really uh, well uh, you know around like 10 or 11 when you like start taking an interest in other people other than yourself. <laughs> so he it was would something you grew up knowing about. Definitely. Wow, interesting. And he was very into food and, uh-huh. and beverage. I mean, he is very into food and drink as a, as are, is my mom and they love to entertain. So yeah. that was a conversation constantly in the house. Yeah. Were you nervous the first time he visited your first restaurant, Leon's? I was nervous and he, he was, you know, predisposed to loving it because you know it's his one of his children's projects but my wife talks about this a lot the first time we went there thank god it was like super busy so we were on a wait (laughs) and you know which just made made the place look and feel good and so we we stepped outside and my dad's a very sweet man very loving and um but he was crying yeah he was so proud and it was a pretty amazing moment Uh. and you know he he didn't make a big thing of it and i didn't like you know make a thing of it but i felt like okay wow cool i you know maybe he was able to experience some of what he was, yeah. you know, uh, aiming to do through that experience. And now he's very into the restaurants and we talk about them and he has ideas yeah. and stuff. And of course, it's a joke in my family, though. My dad, like, no more ideas. I got it. I got it <laughs> under control. And I, I think a lot of people don't know that you didn't come through the entertaining industry. You're mm-hmm. a drama and English major. Correct. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And how, I mean, I actually can really see that in what you do. But was it hard to go into food or, or what do you what um, do you what do you call what you do? Uh, I guess the restaurant industry, uh, you know. But I mean, because I, I think it's entertainment. What you it, do, it right? certainly <laughs> is, and there is an element of theater, a massive element, especially in our our restaurants. So I always loved food, loved entertaining, loved hosting friends. Our house was the party house. Yeah, um, I, I probably went to my friend's house a handful of times. It was all my house Everybody. was always the house where you met. <laughs> My parents were, quote unquote, the cool parents, so they would hang out with us and, you know, entertaining and all that was important, but I, I didn't think of it as a career option and I wanted to be a playwright mm-hmm. and, and a screenwriter. And I, so that's what I planned to do. And Did you go to school in Kentucky? I did at Transylvania University in Lexington. It's a small liberal yeah. arts college and worked in a restaurant all through college. Huh. And so, you know, had more exposure to that world. And didn't really fall in love with it until I went on a trip while I was in college to New York for the first time and went to Balthazar. Mm-hmm. Still open, obviously, iconic. You theater? Know, yeah, <laughs> totally theater. And that, honestly, I mean, I've told this story several times. Like, that was the the thing that clicked for me. I was like, yeah. whoa, I can, I can write a script. I can create a set. 
I can, you know, direct an entire play. It just has to live within, you know, within a restaurant. Yeah. But the bonus is if it's successful, it will make me money and you don't have to like <laughs> stop the run, you know, like you can exactly. go on for 20 years if you do it right. <laughs> well, the thing about Balthazar too that probably did connect you with you is, is it's as much about the bathrooms as it is about yes, the food. Yes, no detail overlooked. Yeah, on, you know, he's a genius. I, li I love Keith McNally because he's sort of a um, crotchety. Yeah. Mad. But also hilarious <laughs> and clearly has been a massive success in, in that world. Tell me about your first restaurant. Leon's was, I, I, I opened Leon's, gosh, I was probably, I'd been here for six years or so, five or six years. Before that, I, I worked for Mike Lotta and Adam Nimero, who owned Fig and The Ordinary. And, and so- front of how, like how, what were you- Yeah, well, I started as a server and a bartender at Fig mm -hmm. and then became an assistant manager. And then after a couple of years, the general manager, and then- I moved to the ordinary as the general manager when we opened that restaurant. And I love that you have all of that experience. And so you know how all of that stuff is supposed to work. I was working at the ordinary, which it was and is an awesome place. Still one of my favorite restaurants in Charleston. But the ordinaries can be it's a little high end. You know, it's kind of fancy. It is dinner only. And so we thought, so my, my partner Tim and I, we had been friends for many years. He owned a couple restaurants in town. We would constantly talk about ideas and we sort of got on this idea of, of opening kind of like a seafood joint that was a little bit more down home, mm -hmm. more affordable, more casual, no reservations, offering some fried seafood because there wasn't really, there were some restaurants doing fried seafood, but those places weren't places you could go and have a cocktail, like right. they didn't have a liquor license and stuff. So, so we landed on this kind of fried seafood, seafood place and decided that we wanted it to have sort of a slightly New Orleans point of view. So we did some R&D and traveling in New Orleans. And that was when we went to Dookie Chase, yeah. um, iconic soul food restaurant. And we had uh, their fried chicken. <laughs> and we were like, damn, fried this fried chicken is good. <laughs> And then it was just sort of like, why don't we serve fried chicken at Leon's too? Like everybody loves fried chicken. Totally. I mean, <laughs> it, it truly is. It's a great sort of, you know, unifier. And it has been one of the reasons why I think Leon's has been successful is it does, it honestly appeals to to everyone. Mm -hmm. And so, and you know, that's kind of how it came together. Oysters obviously were an important part of it. While we were in New Orleans, we had, you know, the, their famous char-grilled oysters, mm -hmm. which we basically stole and- <laughs> Uh, that's what we serve as well. So, you know, and it's in an old, uh, old garage. It's just got a cool, breezy feeling. Seems like it's been around for 50 years, even though we're five years old. And so it, it's definitely the baby and kind of the mothership of the, of the restaurant group. And you were a part of every part of that design menu. Yeah. Yeah. Hiring. Uniforms, I yeah, mean, every all of part it of from that. day and one. That, yeah, Tim is my business partner, and he is sort of. Uh, uh, is he a southerner? He's uh, born in England, actually. Oh wow! Yeah, a little, um, little Keith McNally. Right, exactly. <laughs> so he has that English wit and that ability to suss out BS. Bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is essential in, in the restaurant business. So yeah, we developed everything together from the, you know, from the name, which was just the same name of the body shop that was oh, there really? before. Yeah, the logo is I actually the same wow. logo. We just touched it up. Did you disagree on anything? 
We get along really well. We're awesome business partners. No, I don't like pretty much every step of the way we are we are on the same page. I really think so. It's, so that's what makes it such so much fun to, yeah. to be in this business with with Tim. And there are other business partners obviously that are important to the operation. So I don't want to What was it like the night before you opened? I only I only asked this because I just opened something and I was really nervous right yeah. before. Uh, yeah, I was very <laughs> nervous. I honestly, I so I do feel like Leon's was a success from day one. We had incredible fortune to get some nice press coverage mm-hmm. before we opened. And we're here in Garden and Guns offices. And <laughs> they had a, like a great piece about Leon's. I had an amazing chef who I had worked with at The Ordinary. Mm-hmm. His name's Ari Colander. And we've remained close friends. He lives out in LA now. He put together this incredible menu trained an awesome team. I knew the place looked incredible. Yeah. The music was awesome. The you know, the the only thing that I think was a um you know, a question was there were a lot of people who were like, "Wow, you're so far up on King Street." Which seems so ridiculous now. I know. Uh, you're the pioneer. Yeah, I mean, now we're we're kind of like in the middle of what I is know. a new <laughs> entertainment district, you know, with bars and uh, other restaurants. But that and was you. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty wild to have done that. Now, if we hadn't done it, someone else would have because no. it was going that I don't way. Think so. But that's the only thing that I was nervous about is I was like, man, people act like this is so far away. Like, will they not come up here? No, we had people waiting outside before we opened the doors mm-hmm. and and that restaurant i mean it, yeah it is so busy which has got its own set of challenges yeah. but but it's it's been an awesome project and and has been a success and then from that you opened a second restaurant that was not as successful correct Will you yeah. talk to me about that we saw a, a building up the way that was one day had a for lease sign on it mm-hmm. uh, our offices were across the street we noticed the building all of a sudden had this sign on it. It kind of sat. I mean, at that point, a lot of those buildings were empty, mm-hmm. but you know, no one knew who owned them or, or what the deal was. We saw this for lease sign. Tim and I were in the office and we we're like, shit, we should call because Leon's has been a hit. Mm-hmm. So there's some other opportunity. People are clearly coming up here, better us than someone else. Right. So we called on it and took a look. From sp- seeing the space, were you, was it clear to you what kind of restaurant it should be? It from- was smaller. So that was why we landed on the original concept that didn't was not a success, which was kind of cafe coffee shop. Okay. You know, the, the restaurant business is a tough business. I'll say for me, it's really not worth doing a restaurant if you can't have at least 75, 80 seats. Right. And that's the, at the very least. Right. Ideal would be more like 100, 120 seats, mm-hmm. which is harder to do. And that's just do. math? Yeah. I mean, it's just because it's expensive to be in yeah. the business. And at 100 plus seats is when you, you know, frankly, is when you start becoming a real financial success. Right. And something we, we will often joke about, Tim and I, is that if you're not going to be able to make money in this business, <laughs> it doesn't worth it because it's just a whole bunch of hard work. Yes. You know, so there's got to be something on the other side. <laughs> so we we did we saw the space. It was small and cute, quaint, mm-hmm. intimate, lower ceilings. And we were like, Let's do an all-day cafe and coffee shop. 
I will say, like, there's a dime a dozen now. Mm. At this point, there Nobody. was not, like, not a lot of people doing this all-day cafe kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, in some major markets there right. were. So we we had this idea, and we, you know, hashed it out, did the math. We went and camped out at Starbucks and, like, watched how many people came through and what, mm-hmm. what they were spending and put together sort of a pro forma for what we thought we would do mm-hmm. and opened the restaurant. It was beautiful, mm. so cool. Delicious. Delicious. <laughs> Ari from, from Leon's developed the menu and came over and opened it with us. Food was amazing. I, I was so proud of it. Mm. It was very personal. Yeah. It was like, you know, I'm like, let's open the thing I want to, I, I wish we had. You know, mm. I lived up the street. I was like, I don't, you know, where do I go get coffee in the morning if I'm going somewhere? So by all accounts, it was, boom, knocked it out of the park. It was, again, super busy from day one. Yeah. But quickly, what we learned was we ain't Starbucks, you know? (laughs) We don't have the following that they have. Right. And there's no money in coffee. Well, I think also just people park in in their seats and bring their laptop and- Totally. Get one coffee that was a huge or a water. issue. Yeah. <laughs> and I think honestly, I think we were looking at it from the lens of like, you see, you know, you go to this place in New York. It's so crazy, you know, and that like you have to remind yourselves, like, we're not New York. People work in different ways, they mm-hmm. commute in different ways. Mm-hmm. It was it was crazy because I think we, you know, we kept it open, I can't remember, six, seven, eight months. Okay. It was, you know, it was losing money from day one and we were putting money in and, and we kind of were like, okay, we're going to we're gonna float the business for the first year. Mm-hmm. And, and if it doesn't show signs of improving after a year, then we'll close it down. And I think around month six, it was like, this ain't going to happen. <laughs> like it, it didn't show any signs of getting any better. We kind of did the math, saw what the business was. And knew that the best case scenario was going to be breaking, breaking even, even, basically. Maybe, yeah. And had the area been what it is now, I think it would have been a different story. Mm-hmm. But it just it didn't work. You're ahead of your time. I feel like we were. <laughs> no, I yeah. You were. But um, what was it like to make that decision? Was it devastating? So devastating. Yeah embarrassing yeah as you can imagine like it was the sophomore effort so yeah it's one thing to sort of i think close a business when you've done like 17 and they've been <laughs> a success but number two you're like oh god so the first one maybe the first one was a total fluke so <laughs> right. it definitely like well uh, that was what i was going to ask was it scary to open that third one after the second one it was but we because the third one was in the same space we kind of had oh no god. choice <laughs> So we, we flipped it into another concept. And how long did that take? That took about, probably took a year. And yes, that was so scary yeah. because we, you know, we had already lost money. So we were sort of, you know, in a precarious situation there. I had never taken a failed restaurant and flipped it into a successful restaurant so i didn't know like is the bad juju gonna stick around do people care now have they dismissed the location was it a problem with the location in the first place and it doesn't matter what we put here and with restaurants there's so much sort of alchemy like you don't really know no not at all yeah you're so right and i was having that conversation with a friend recently It, it is a it's a little energy in the air i mean there are some things you can do right and wrong right but A lot of it is just like, what are people feeling like right now? And does it speak to whatever they're into? Mm -hmm. And there's really kind of no, there's no, you know, trend forecaster that you can pay to tell you that. Mm -hmm. You just kind of have to, you know, feel it. In that in-between time, did you talk to other 
restaurateurs or did, did you seek advice from anybody? I, I or didn't. Were you, um, too nervous or I mean. Yeah, I think I was embarrassed, yeah. you know, and I definitely like, I mean, I sought advice from my wife sure. and I was at, you know, I have had, if I mean, if I had a dollar for the amount of times I've told my wife, like, this is, this is all a joke and I'm, I'm terrible <laughs> at this and we, I need to get out of this business. I don't know what I'm doing or people hate these restaurants or whatever. Like this, yeah. the amount of self-doubt yeah. has been through the roof. Um, I'm the same way though. I mean, I always doubt myself in that. I mean, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm making up every day. See, and then from an outside perspective, like you are killing it. It seems like you know exactly what you're doing. You've impacted an entire community and an entire region. But don't so, you think everybody just in life is just making it up? I mean, nobody definitely. really knows what they're totally. doing. Totally. I think, yeah. I mean, and I think that's true. And I think like I can step back from it now and say that so a little bit of self-doubt is is important yes i never want to approach a project like gonna, i got this gonna nail this you know <laughs> yeah packed from the from day one uh you know sometimes yeah. like i'm sure to the like annoyance of our team you know like very neurotic about it like <laughs> woody allen waiting for his movie to open and and crash you know i'm like yeah. i'm like i don't know if we got it right but I felt, well, when we opened our store in LA, I don't know that I felt confident, but I had, like, my gut felt good about it the mm -hmm. whole time. Just the market, I guess, or just Like, the, you weren't sure if the, 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 the women of LA would respond to your, your edit? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, but I, but I, my gut felt right. But then, but really that week, and I, and everybody was saying, are you nervous? Are you freaking out? And I was like, not, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing actually, and I think you probably have the same thing in your business is I, my team is so good. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not great, but my mm -hmm. team is incredible. Yeah. And so I trusted what they were doing. But then that week before we opened, I thought, oh my God, this is literally the biggest mistake I've ever made. Oh my God, I mean, like, not I mean, a good feeling. You know? Right. <laughs> and especially when I saw it in the store, I saw all the clothes in the store and I thought, oh my God, I'm, we're not going to sell one piece. I don't I don't know. Like You just like running up to, you were like, I, I, <laughs> I did this all wrong? Well, yeah. And then, and kind of like you said, my husband said, if you're not nervous about something, there really is something wrong with you. Yeah. I mean, that's totally. weird. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You and I have something in common. I don't know if you know this but because of uh, client privilege, but we work with the same professional coach. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, Sarah Olin. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember, did, uh, did you connect me with I kind of think I, I did. I think you did. I think I did, maybe. Um, I can't recall how I found Sarah. How has that changed your business and your life. I, I don't know about you, but it was hard for me to admit I needed help. Maybe I, I don't know that I felt like I had enough- Enough I, baggage to yeah, unpack? Maybe, yeah, like, maybe, maybe. Like maybe I, I'm not me, a I bad did. enough situation, but I feel bad, <laughs> you know? Like I feel like I need help, but uh, I get that. But how has that made your, your business evolve and, how, and you evolve, I guess? Right? Yeah, in, a, in a, an incredible way. I gotta be honest, in the beginning, I approached it, with an, with an open mind and an open heart and a lot of vulnerability, mm -hmm. you know? So I knew I wasn't going to waste my time or this, you know, woman's time. I was going to be honest about my my emotions around like, you know, around business or my doubts or whatever was, was ailing me mm -hmm. so that I could get the most out of it. In the beginning, few conversations, you know, there was a voice in the back of my head like, is this too flowery for me or something you know the 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 language around self-empowerment you know i speak from from my male perspective i don't speak for for all men but like it was a little 
it t- takes some getting used to. It's kind of an airy like <laughs> language that I'm not used to speaking. <laughs> so in some ways in the beginning, I was like, oh, I don't know if this is totally for me, but I, but I was very vulnerable and I was honest about like the, the, the help that I needed mm. ar- around my, you know, professional life. She kept talking about a breakthrough and I was like, eh, I'm not going to have a breakthrough. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I did. And I, you know, for, for me, what I was really, the, the problem was I was trying, I was really struggling with a lot of guilt about what it meant to be to to be a business owner and the remove that I will sometimes have or do have from the businesses and specific to the restaurant business I came up through the restaurant business mm-hmm. I worked yeah every you know every position tended bar bus tables ran food did it for a long time I very much equated oh you when you work in a restaurant you work in a restaurant yeah. you clear tables you you know you scrape plates into the bus tub, you make drinks, all that stuff. With the opening of Melfi's, more and more so, it became like, wow, I I, I don't even work in the restaurants anymore. Right. There are some, you know, systems in the restaurant, I don't even know how they work. That's terrible, you know? And so I had a lot of guilt around that and I would go home and it would be seven o'clock and I'd say to my wife, like, oh my God, it's seven o'clock. And I'm like, I'm not at the restaurants. I'm like such a shithead. Yeah. She'd be like, Brooks, you've been at work since 8 a.m. Like, what What are you talking about? That's what about? people do, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so Sarah helped me realize, like, the, the difference between being a, a busboy yeah. and being a business owner. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that I'm all the way there. Like, I'm still working through that, that transition. She's helped me understand how to be really impactful at the right distance and how to t- how to not like walk into the restaurant and feel like I have to bust tables, right. you know, because that's not my strongest suit and my highest yeah. use to the business right. is, is to bust tables. I can do it and I will, but I'm better served looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. What kind of leader are you and what kind of leader do you want to be? What would your staff say about you as a leader? The kind of leader I am is a uh, a patient leader, very I'm an empowering leader. Um, I like to I like to delegate for a couple reasons. A, it makes my life easier. <laughs> and B, it challenges the, the the next person in line to improve their skill set and to earn more opportunity within our organization. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a kind leader. I definitely do not lead by uh, fear. That's the worst. Yeah. And I've ne- that's never, you know, been my style. I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't yell or anything like that. Uh, you know, so I think that my staff would say that I'm, I'm patient, but I'm detail oriented and demanding as it relates to the details. What that, you know, would mean is like cleanliness is a huge thing for me. I'm a, a, a stickler about consistency of food. We don't change our menus a lot because people love what we serve and, and it's worked. So when, you know, when I come in to eat, I'm, I'm looking to make sure that the, the salad is the same as it was two months ago mm-hmm. or last week, you know, but then the leader that I'd like, the kind of leader that I would like to be is um, I love to inspire people and I love to address the staff. I'll struggle with the anguish of like, do they really want to hear from me? <laughs> or is this just like, oh, the owner's got some <laughs> shit to say to us again, you know? And so I struggle with that. But then 
what will happen is like every time I address the staff, like a, maybe a manager will ask me to come in and speak to the team to be able to share what our philosophy is or mm -hmm. what is important to me or to inspire the team. And mm -hmm. I do think that is something that I'm good at. And I've always wondered like, do they really want to hear from me or are they going to, you know, is it going to be like rolling eyes? But then inevitably the team will come, you know, like they'll come up to me and go like, loved hearing from you. I loved what you said about this. Um, you know, we really appreciate it when you come and you address and you tell us kind of where we are headed or where yeah. we are. And so that always makes me feel good. So, I, you know, I'd like to be a leader who is confident and fully kind of embracing the role of a leader. Back to what we talked about, your dad opening the restaurant and having a family, you have a son and you mm -hmm. have a baby on the way. And it is a hard lifestyle. Yeah. Really hard, I think, to balance. It, it, it can be. And so I'm really happy. So I've found, an, I've found balance. I, yeah. I truly feel like that. And I feel like the luckiest dude in the world for, for, for having that because the restaurant business can be so difficult and you're, you're kind of led to believe like, oh no, if you work in like, you have to bleed for this business right. or you're not really in it or whatever. And I've learned like, actually that's not the case. No. There is a way to build a great team, empower other people, provide more opportunities, yeah. get out of the way a little bit and, you know, and, and work on making your business better from the sort of highest level. What does success mean for you? Guys, day to day. I mean, success <laughs> is like literally as specific as waking up. And <laughs> if we have like positive Google reviews and five stars on our reservation platform, then I'm like, boom, I'm good for today. It's I thought you were going to say just waking up, period. That's you know, good. That's I mean, good. the on, on a larger <laughs> scale, I mean, this is kind of a simple answer, but on the macro scale, if the businesses are uh, profitable. Yeah. I know a simple way to look at it, but then I consider them to be a success. Mm. And then on the on the micro, if we're getting negative feedback from customers or employees, then I feel like our success is in danger. Mm. And so that's kind of the day to day is I'm constantly like taking the pulse of how do our customers feel about us and how do our employees feel about us. Mm -hmm. And then on the kind of on the macro level are we making money yeah <laughs> you know how big is your team gosh how many employees we have i i don't know we have four restaurants and i would say we have 140 employees wow. or something like that and do, do you um, ever get all together or at the no, christmas party okay that's that would be the only time do you close we do yeah mm -hmm. we close early we serve lunch and then we close and then we have an evening mm -hmm. Christmas party. That's the only time that they get together. And and they're very different restaurants too. They all mm -hmm. have these different identities. They attract different types of staff. So mm -hmm. it's funny to see it all yeah. together because <laughs> they don't necessarily like mix really easily. You know, a, a server at Leon's is a certain personality and a certain person mm -hmm. than a server at Melfi's, which yeah. is our dinner only white tablecloth restaurant. Yeah. And so it's, it's funny to see the worlds collide sometimes. We ask everybody in the podcast what they wore to the prom. I wore a, well, I'd say a tux, but it wasn't a proper tux. It was a black suit, white shirt with a black bow tie. I love that. I remember putting the bow tie on in my dad's bathroom. And like, I remember doing my hair and blow drying the, the top <laughs> up. And, uh, and wingtips? 
I don't remember the shoes I wore. I assume they were black shoes. Yeah, but they, there's no way they were like patent. I didn't have proper no, tuxedo, no. Well, like, you, you like shouldn't evening have. wear shoes. Yeah, no. no, you know I've always been into clothes. You're a natty dresser. I, I love to. Yeah. I loved clothes. I love shopping with my wife. Yeah, we just went on vacation and like this. We went to this store in London <laughs> and she got a couple things. And I swear to God, I was like her assistant. Like, oh, you have to try this on. <laughs> oh, you will look great in this. And the girl who was working there was like, I have never seen a husband <laughs> as engaged in the shopping experience as Aww. you are. Uh, and there were a few things that I picked out that she got. So. Well, she's so fun to shop with, though, because she looks, she really does look yeah, beautiful and everything. Yeah, she's tall. I think she looks good and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I remember, like, wanting to look, like, classic for the prom, you know? Yeah, where so did I, you go? Did you go to that department store to get your My your bow tie? Uh, well, I already had a <laughs> and suit. And what you said was a black bow tie? It was a black bow tie from Brooks Brothers. Yeah, and a black suit from Brooks Brothers. Love that. Uh, And then like a white dress shirt, you know, not not a tuxedo shirt, just a regular white dress shirt. I think that like photo is still hanging in our house somewhere (laughs) with my senior year girlfriend. I love it. Thank you, Brooks. It's been a pleasure, an honor. And honestly, as I was like looking through the list of your guests, like- is she sure she wants to invite me on this thing? You have the best it's style of been, any of them. It has been so good. So thanks for having me. Thank you. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.